0: What is going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk. It is SportsNet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks Insider, Thomas Trance. Also covering the team at the Athletic Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. ccom I'm coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I'm here in Vancouver at the Kintech studio. My guy Drancer is on location in Nashville, uh, our intrepid correspondent for, of course, the NHL Draft. We're here. It is draft week, the the busiest, most exciting week of the offseason, Drancer.
1: Well, and especially this year, because they've truncated the offseason schedule, right? I mean, mm. we've got draft on Wednesday and Thursday. We've got NHL awards tonight. I'd expect Tuesday we'll have some news. I, I would stay tuned. St- keep peeled to your Twitter feed. Keep your earballs yep. tuned in to Sportsnet 650, because we're going to have some movement. Might not be Canucks movement, but we're going to have movement. And then Friday... Already you've got qualifying offer deadline and then into the market opening on Saturday. I mean, usually we have a little bit more time to breathe this week. The off season is going to come fast and furious and at full noise. It's going to be a ton of fun. And not just because I'm coming to you, you know, a few hundred pieces away from the Taylor Swift education center in uh, Nashville. Uh a,
0: Wi-Fi acting up a little bit. We'll try to get a better connection. Uh, but uh, that also just me, but what me might be what we're dealing with here uh, for the hotel Wi-Fi down there in Nashville. But as you said, Drancer, uh, no shortage of movement expected around the NHL this week. We'll get into the Canucks side of things and what their priorities are going to be this week, what we expect to see, what a kind of ideal draft week looks like for them. But we do have some breaking news around the NHL to start the show off with. Uh, the Boston Bruins clearing some salary cap spa- space, sending Taylor Hall to the Chicago Blackhawks. I also just saw an update that the uh, the rights to pending UFA Nick Foligno will be going to Chicago as well. So Taylor Hall there, $6 million uh, in each of the next two seasons going to the Chicago Blackhawks. And, of course, uh, now Taylor Hall will get a chance to play with uh, fellow first overall draft pick Connor Bedard in Chicago.
1: All right, let's try this again, shall we? Yeah, here you go. That sounds better. How am I, how am I coming? You're, you sound good now. It sounds good. So, really interesting that Chicago is pursuing a player of this quality, right? Mm-hmm. Because they do have virtually unlimited short-term cap space. Taylor Hall only has two years left on his deal. You know, I'd expect them to look to manage the term closely on Felino because while the Blackhawks have Bedard coming shortly. They don't have anyone that they have to worry about signing here. Mm. You know, like they've got three years before anybody that they really care about is going to be up for their second contract. And so it makes sense to be creative about how to use that short term cap space in particular, sort of coming back to my Alex Kalorn idea from a month ago. And this would be consistent with it as is, Felino's rights being part of the deal uh just get some credible grown-up yep. nhl players surround Bedard with them so that you're not completely hopeless and obviously but I mean sorry obviously Taylor Hall is still a two-way driver and a really good player and I mean that's a nice spot for Bedard to now settle into where potentially you've got Taylor Hall on your wing and, and that'll help a lot in terms of having a play driver five on five as Bedard adjusts mm-hmm. to the nhl and we do expect it will be an adjustment adjustment right the shot will play he's going to be dynamic on the power play but i'm not expecting a mcdavid level year one impact i think there's some things that he gets away with in the, at the whl level uh and at the world junior level that you know he's gonna to have to f- sort of learn new habits to be as to be that effective anyway to be one of the best hockey playing humans on the planet in the nhl and i'm sure that learning curve will you know be accelerated given his talent and intelligence but uh taylor hall certainly gives him a bit of a soft landing here
0: yeah and it's interesting uh as you said you know a a really ideal fit just for somebody to play with Connor bedard taylor hall going there and as the taylor hall part of this broke first right and kind of my initial reaction was okay, they've, got, they've gone and added a really high-skill offensive player uh, for Connor Bedard. Now they're going to go look to add, like, a veteran with some toughness. And, in fact, they do it. We'll see if they sign Nick Foligno, but they do it in the same deal, right? That kind of quintessential, you know, respected veteran with some grit and some toughness, mm-hmm. uh, maybe not to be stapled on Conor Bedard's line, but at least they start to add that element to, uh, to their roster, which we all uh, a- anticipated them doing. And we do have the full trade per Frank Cervelli here, uh, the rights to a couple of RFAs, Ian Mitchell and Alec Regula, going back to the Bruins. So basically this is just a pure salary dump to get the $6 million uh, of Taylor Hall's salary off of the NHL, uh, off of the Boston Bruins uh, cap sheet. And we know they're in a world of they, – they have an extremely difficult salary cap situation. And as much as they've just cleared $6 million – I wouldn't be surprised. Like I would not expect this to represent the end of what Boston is doing
1: to try to create cap flexibility for themselves. No, you'd expect them to look at a defenseman. God, we got you, Jance. We got you. Oh, do you? Yep. (laughs) Nice. Well, I'm glad I didn't swear. Uh Um, the uh, (laughs) the. (laughs) a couple Canucks takeaways okay really quickly because what does this mean for the Canucks the age-old question yes first off doesn't this really sort of drive home how crucial it was to buy out Oliver Ekman Larson
0: because there are going to be a lot of players that move for nothing right and we saw another one over the weekend in Ryan Johansson that not only moved for nothing but Nashville ate half of his salary for the next two years, right? right. And and so you're right. Negative like, value. Yeah, exactly. And they got literally nothing back, right? Like technically Alex Galchenyuk, but they're not going to sign him. That was just for Colorado to open up a, a contract slot. So with the money that they have now, the Canucks have, the flexibility they have in all in, from the Oliver ekman Larson buyout, I'm not saying either Taylor Hall or Ryan Johansson were the right fit for them or they should have been in on those guys, but these are not – we've already seen two – Pretty good players significant, on significant salaries moved for nothing. They're not going to be the last ones. They're not going to be the last really useful pieces that change hands for basically nothing uh, purely for salary cap reasons this week.
1: Yeah, and moved for nothing or less than nothing in Johansson's case. And Johansson would loom large for me as, like, the guy that the Canucks could have used. Mm. Uh, to me, you know, he didn't have the PK utility, didn't have the defensive bent to his game, but six foot 3 right-handed – wins sixty percent of his draws, four million dollars for with short term, like a short term commitment. To me that's better than you're likely to find elsewhere. Yeah. And we'll see. I mean the Canucks have, you know, five, six days here to to outperform that in terms of finding their center acquisition, but I'm officially putting my fate on uh, whether or not they're they'll be able to come out with a better solution than, than Johansson would have been. So, yeah, the, you know, that's sort of part one there. The
0: way I look at the but, Ryan Johansson deal from a Canucks perspective, it's not necessarily, oh my goodness, how did they miss out on that deal? Because as you say, there's legitimate reasons, team building reasons why, you know, they they would want somebody with a, a different profile, more PK ability, etc. I look at it as okay, well, that's the that's the deal you have to beat, right? Like that's the standard that whatever you do at third line center is going to be judged against. Is it better than Ryan Johansson at 2 years for $4 million per season, right? Like that that's now the goal in terms of efficiency and upside and and fit and all of that, like holistically judge the deal, is it better than Ryan Johansson for nothing, 2 years at 4 million per season? That's the question I'm going to be asking uh when we eventually see what the third line center solution is for the Canucks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so we'll 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 have a chance to come back to that. Now, here's the other part of this, right? The reason why the market beginning to form here. And you know, I I've, I've said it for 18 months and I think it's only really just beginning to sink in. You know, one of my takes has been 75% of this league is available for free right that uh, for free or virtually free and you know if Taylor Hall who is coming off a really effective season on a historically good team playing a pretty significant two-way role is free at six million times two I think that really drives home just how difficult it is to move because or move bodies because Chicago has virtually unlimited short-term cap space and yet they still have their own options and considerations to explore, right? You have to think about mm-hmm. it that way too. Could you have even given Connor Garland away for free Yep. becomes the question in the wake of this trade. And I wonder if the answer is no, like I wonder outright if the answer is no, a year ago, we were talking about, Oh, that Bjork strand trade, right? What a home run, but given the term on Bjorkstrand's deal, And the fact that they did get positive value back, even if it's modest value, um, is there a world where Bjorkstrand would have been immovable this season had he not gone to Seattle, right? And I'm not saying yes or no. I thought he was really effective for the Kraken, right? I'm not criticizing anybody in this. I'm just asking the question, given how we're seeing this market form, could you, do you think, give Connor Garland away for free? Or are we at the point where actually he should be considered a negative value asset given what we're seeing with comparable or better players with less term attached to them, like Taylor Hall, a uh, return on the trade market.
0: Yeah. And a, a lot of text coming in along these lines, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. This one saying, uh, does this trade not highlight to Canucks fans why the Canucks can't dump Garland or Besser? Uh, another one saying, why didn't they try to trade Brock to Chicago instead of them, them taking Hall? And I think that the, the Brock Besser to Taylor Hall comparison is a really apt one. Brock Besser makes more than Taylor Hall does, right? And Taylor Hall, okay, down year statistically, but obviously a much more accomplished player, and you have, I think, a lot more confidence about his ability to drive play, uh with chicago than you would with brock besser right so they're getting a better player at less money and they still didn't have to give up anything of tangible worth and i know somebody's texting in saying one of the rfas ian mitchell you know put up some good numbers in the ahl but still this is not a significant value piece going back the other way uh to boston right and i think uh,
1: equivalent equivalent value of like a fifth or, or a fourth round pick yeah Right? So, like, basically you know, I mean, there, for free. there's no value here.
0: Yeah. And so, if you are – I think to me, and Garland's part of this as well, but the easy one-to-one comparable is Brock Besser, right? Because two years left on his deal, winger, he actually makes more than Taylor Hall. If that's all Taylor Hall could return, well, it's going to be extraordinarily difficult to find a taker, certainly at the full freight of his salary for Brock Besser.
1: Well, and let's not forget that well, where Taylor Hall has – over the course of his stint in Boston, right? Because we're talking about a guy who was over a point per game in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yes, Boston lost in the first round. But this guy had five goals in a seven-game series. Eight points. Yep. Okay? He's a guy who is coming off a, a season in which he only had 36 points, in fairness. But but missed 20 games. So he, so that's, you know, a 20-plus goal pace. And only 12 of those points were on the power play. So he would have been on pace to score 35 38 on the power play right in and in, in, around that range and or sorry at even strength and his defensive value was plus he's addressed the two-way concerns about his game that used to exist in a significant way during his years in Boston whereas Brock Besser is coming off the most baffling defensive season of his career mm. right I, I mean there are advanced models that peg Besser is one of the least effective defensive forwards in the league on and on now Take that with a grain of salt because that's not who Besser has traditionally been. And I don't think there's like a reason for it. It's not like he had like a lower body injury that we would think contributed to that. He obviously had the the um, the wrist injury and then the infection. So maybe that harmed his fitness a bit, but there's no reason for Besser to have been that ineffective defensively. And he's never been that ineffective defensively, even as a rookie at any point in his NHL career. So I'm not buying that that's who he is so much as I'm saying that, from the from a market value perspective you'd look at one guy as you'd look at them as comparable offensive pieces even though Besser significantly outscored Taylor Hall because of the role yep. and you know because because Taylor Hall's 5 on 5 production was still really really strong despite his lack of power play time defensively you would look at Hall as a driver and you you'd look at Brock Besser as as a guy with significant question marks um again i just think seeing this market unfold with Johansson with Hall, I think really speaks to why that Oliver ekman Larson buyout was an absolute no-doubter, like, something they had to do because from the looks of it, they were just – this organization doesn't have enough assets to have spent to clear the books another way. Mm. Like, it, it, was that, it was that, or it was parting with stuff you didn't want to part. And that, you know, speaks to, I think, to sort of why we spent two months talking about their cap space and the pain – would likely be involved in clearing the decks and ultimately the pain that they decided to take on internally in terms of future cap space rather than uh, paying the market prices or, or eating salary to get these moves to occur.
0: Well, and I think to your point about the Bjorkstrand trade from last summer and how it would potentially unfold this year, I think what we're seeing right now is not just the flat cap era continuing, right? But a culmination and a cumulative effect of years of a flat cap situation and the tap's just running dry in terms of cap space around the league. Like, this is the crunchiest of the flat cap summers uh, that we've seen unfold in the NHL right now. And I think that explains a lot of the Johansson deal and now the Taylor Hall deal and a lot of trades that we're going to see uh, over the next 10 days or so here and certainly in draft week in Nashville. And, you know, I was thinking about, okay, like, what, what do I want to see the Canucks accomplish? What are my priorities for the Canucks this week? And obviously we all know defense and third line center, but I was thinking more just in terms of, Of process of how I want to see them go about their business. Now, a big part of that is crush the pick at eleven, right? Draft the best, highest upside player available at pick eleven. But in terms of addressing those roster needs, you know, looking at the Johansson deal, now looking at the Taylor Hall deal, the number one I thing I want to see is as you say, look, okay, you you bit the bullet and you did the OEL deal, you have this flexibility. Don't just get tunnel vision on the two or three UFAs that you like the best, right? And discard everyone else and say, well, yeah, but Ryan Johansson, he's not a perfect fit because of this reason. So now we're not really interested in that. They really have to exhaust the trade market here. Exhaust the trade market and the options that exist there for good players who could be available very, very cheaply before you turn to your UFA targets. And look, there's no guarantee. Other teams are going to be trying to do the same thing as well. There's no guarantee that you're going to be able to get any of those players necessarily. It always depends on how the market takes shape. But that's what I want to see more than anything else, right? Okay, you have this cap space. This is actually a really, really good time to have that cap space. Be creative. Look at all the options available. Heck, if the options don't materialize for you on the trade market, don't be afraid to bargain once it comes around to UFA. The number one thing I want to see is just avoid that tunnel vision. Cast an extremely wide net, around the league looking for players that could potentially help you. If like if one wish for how the Vancouver Canucks do business this week, that would be it for me. Yeah. It's an
1: interesting thought. It's an interesting thought. And, and so in terms of what you're saying, extrapolating it out, is there an ideal target or two you have in mind?
0: Well, I mean, I was on the Ryan Johansson train and again, that's understanding the, uh, Ways he didn't necessarily fit for what this team was looking for, but I just thought the fact that he was right-handed and with the offensive upside, th- for me, I think the ideal would have been like Ryan Johansson on this deal, and then you go and sign a couple of cheap fourth-line center types that give you some of that PK Value right, you kind of cover yourself off there, and you give yourself a little bit of flexibility. You can move right, yeah, like Ryan a Johansson or something. Yeah, exactly. Right, you you move Ryan Johansson yeah. up in the lineup if you need to, and you bump one of those guys up to third line center. I would have liked to see something like along those lines. Now I look at it. I mean, we've talked about the Boston defensemen a lot, right? Grizzlick and Forbort and Mike Riley. Those are still very interesting uh, names for me. We can get into some of the UFA targets as well. But again, it's like even from my perspective, it's not so much about the specific targets as just a willingness to be creative and a willingness to look through in every nook and cranny for these players.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that's look, I think that's how this is going to be best done. I mean, for all that we talk about these high, like the high concept stuff we talk about a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Weaponizing cap space and, um, you know, keep, keeping your powder dry and value buys and ways of operating in this manner. You know, I thought we saw some good examples. Now, one of these is in limbo as the NHL sort of uh, arbitrarily determines whether or not they're going to permit it to happen before July 9th, according to Pierre Lebrun's reporting over at The Athletic today. But, you know, Carolina buying mm-hmm. Anthony D'Angelo in the manner that they appear poised to do. Oh, there's some, you know, circumvention uh, holdups there. Yeah. But it uh, seems like that's going to happen eventually. But that's, you know, they're not out there trying to find the perfect offensive defenseman. They're losing Shane Goss despair, right, who they bought for nothing <laughs> in season last year. He, you know, he brought some offensive punch to their third pair and... They have a relationship with D'Angelo dating back. they helped him resuscitate his career. then they got value from him when they traded him to Philly. Uh, a, a ridiculous trade. Mm-hmm. And now Philly's got buyers remorse and is willing to shop him back shop him back to them at half retained for very little. And you know that's a perfect example. Uh, forget the forget the whole buyer's remorse and the fact that it's going to be a second t- tour of duty. It's the, you know don't worry about replacing the guy. don't be obsessed with finding the perfect offensive defenseman for your third pair oh there's a team that wants to move a guy we'll take him sure yeah half retained yeah great perfect he fits in our salary cap situation it's one year you know they're negotiating with pesci and they're willing to move him reportedly or at least willing to consider it although it seemed to have cooled on that front over the past 72 hours but you know partly what helps you get a team-friendly extension done the fact that everyone knows that you're willing to move on from everybody, mm. right? Like the, the way they do business and the fact that Pesci's name has been out there really crystallized. Like, do you want to be here? Cause this is what that looks like. Um, you know, across the board, they're able to find these small edges that add up over the course of multiple seasons. And it's one of the reasons why they've averaged 105 points the last four years, uh, just the way they do business and Colorado, you know, We've been talking about Ryan Johansson as a target, and I feel like the reaction every time we've done it is like, why would anyone want to do that? Why would any team want to do that? That's ridiculous. You don't buy OEL out to take on another bad contract. And, and lo and behold, it's one of the smartest teams, a recent yeah. Stanley Cup winner. And, um, and it that, you, and, that makes the move. And at 50% like,
0: retained, it's not a bad contract. It's
1: not a bad contract at all at 50% retained. There's still there's still some risk there. Yeah, this, but like I if mean, his form atrophies, uh, yeah, but it's short he term. Need, he needs to he needs to be at a middle six level. I mean, there 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 ta- it's a major roll of the dice. In my opinion, it's a major roll of the dice. But because you limit the term of, yeah. the, of the dice roll, like for me, it's honestly a far lower risk deal than signing JT Comfer and hoping that he can continue to you know feast on the power play. Even though for the Avalanche, you know, I remember watching some of those Kraken games in the first round because I covered the series and late in games when they're trailing, you've got Evan Rodriguez and JT Comfer out there. And, and this is, you know, no, no disrespect to either player, both of whom I think are good, but I'm watching it thinking, really, they need to upgrade those players. Mm. You know, it's not that it's not that they need more JT Comfer. They need better players, period. I, I like both guys on their last contracts. I'm not sure I'm going to like either guy on their next one. And Ryan Johansson, you're effectively manufacturing um, the next one, right? You don't like Ryan Johansson at eight for sure, but can you can you stomach him? Can he help you at four? That's the gamble, and and I don't think it's a like a slam dunk for sure, no question. He can. I I think there's a, a lot of real risk that that's there, but the appetite that the smartest teams in the league have um, to take on that risk to find those solutions just looks nothing like how we see this Vancouver Canucks team operate at least historically hopefully they come up with some creative solutions here because you know the offseason's not even close to fully run mm-hmm. but i think it's worth keeping those those things in mind like there's a reason we keep coming back to those sorts of plays to those sorts of concepts and it's that you know th- these aren't abstract this is just how the smartest teams in the league seem to be operating these days. And it'd be nice to see the Canucks operate with something like that level of creativity and ingenuity.
0: We got to take a break, but just very quickly on Carolina and Tony D'Angelo again, I think very instructive because it wasn't, we love this player. We have to keep him at all costs. And it wasn't this player can't help us get rid of them. It was their interest in Tony D'Angelo has been based on, how he fits into the market, right? When he wanted X amount of salary and he had X amount of trade value, they were willing to move on. Now he's available at a much reduced price and he fits what they're trying to do now right it's it's not just looking at players and evaluating them in a, in a vacuum and okay how does their style fit what we want to do it's how their position in the market what they cost what they cost to acquire what the opportunity cost of not trading them would be based on their demand around the market and i think the d'angelo and carolina experience really highlights how they do that all right it is draft week Drancer is down in Nashville next on the show joining us. uh, He's going to be a big part of Sportsnet's draft coverage this week. Our guy Jason Bukla will join us to uh, tee up everything and preview of a draft. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance live from the Kintex studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. It is, of course, NHL Draft Week and NHL Draft coverage is brought to you by the Vancouver Giants, showcasing NHL prospect talents, including Samuel Honzik and Jaden Lipinski. Come watch NHL talent in action. Go to VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. Uh, Drancer is down in Nashville. I believe our next guest is joining us from Nashville as well. He's former NHL scout, a regular contributor here on our show, and he's going to be a big part of Sportsnet's NHL draft coverage on TV as well. Our guy, Jason Bukla. Jason, thank you as always for doing this. How's Nashville?
2: It is uh, steamy steamy hot, like, yeah, like 40 degrees out there with the humidity. So I'm uh, I'm sequestered in my room trying to get as much work done as possible. Yeah.
0: Bump that AC up and uh, and and stay (laughs) hydrated. It's going to be a busy few days down there. So from a perspective of uh, a scout and, and just an overall kind of team front office perspective, these two days leading into round one. Of the draft, obviously you've done so much homework and legwork and spent so much time assembling your list prior to this. What are these last couple of days leading into it like for a team and a scout?
2: Well, it, it, you know, first of all, it's 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 the most fun part of the job, no no question. You know, you you've built up to this stage and this week. Um, but having said that, uh, you know, you've you've uh, you got your draft list. Uh, you're, you're kind of splitting hairs here at the end. Um, but this year, especially more than any other year that, uh, in recent memory, I can tell you there's a lot of stress in, in a lot of these rooms. And the reason is that there's a lot of talk going on with, uh, with, a, a relatively low end free agency market mm. on the horizon. And uh, of course, salary cap implications across the league. Um, there's a lot of talk going on about picks being moved, bodies being moved and, um, it makes it exciting, but stressful at the same token. So it's an exciting kind of stress, if that makes, uh, makes sense.
0: In, in a typical year, and obviously every year is going to differ a little bit, but by the time it's, you know, the start of the draft on Wednesday or whatever day and, and team number one is uh, is stepping up to make their pick, how much of a handle do you have? How much confidence do you have in kind of guessing how the first, you know, 10 to 15 picks are going to unfold?
2: Um. You know what? I would say pretty confident. You know, overall, I would say that uh, there's there's usually at least one kind of outlier in there. Um, but for the most part, the first 10 or 15, um, you know, it's, of course, in different order. But uh, pretty confident, pretty comfortable. Um, the one thing that you get, it's like anything else in life. The, the longer you're in the league and certain staffs are together for you know, a long period of time and then you can start to predict, you know, their trends and, and how their general manager likes to build their roster, their, their organization, you can kind of start to get a feel for those teams that, you know, oh that's, that's, you know, a Vancouver Canucks style player. That's a Winnipeg Jets style, player. you, you get comfortable with that. It's, it's not as easy as that, but uh, experience, uh, you know, the Dallas stars like Joe McDonnell's been around uh, with Jim Neal, you know, going back to their Detroit days and now in Dallas and, and I can pretty, I feel pretty comfortable, you know, about the type of players that they like to draft and, um, and target. And so you can start to predict, uh, you know, some of these teams and what they're going to do a little bit more comfortably, just with experience.
1: Jason, how much chatter, how much uncertainty do you have this year? In your new, in your new role on the media side of the game, about teams moving up and down. Do you think we're going to see much movement in the first half of the first round on the
2: draft floor on Wednesday? Uh, You know, going into... Coming here on the weekend, I would have said I had more confidence in it. Now what I'm seeing is um, bodies being potentially moved from NHL rosters and and, and top picks being traded out to... um, instead of the moving up, moving down scenario. So I'm less confident in it right now. Having said that, you know, there's some teams that I believe are going to be active, but you know, Pittsburgh, uh, their coverts are bare prospect wise. They've got the pick in the 14 slot. Um, but they just don't have a lot coming through the system. So, you know, that's a team that I would take a look at that they would likely be entertaining a trade back scenario to pick up more draft capital. Um, You know, even there in Vancouver, um, you know, I think they're going to make the pick at 11. But I would also absolutely suggest to you guys that they're going to do their homework and say to themselves, well, if we have three players staring at us or four players staring at us at 11 still that we really like, and because we don't have a second round pick, you know, do we pick up the phone and and just kind of wade into that territory? So. I think the calls are going to be made. I'm less comfortable right now saying there's going to be a lot of movement in the top 15 outside of Pittsburgh.
1: Do you think the flat cap is going to have such an impact? And we already saw Taylor Hall acquired for free by the Chicago Blackhawks today. But do you think the flat cap is going to cause teams to part with picks that maybe two, three months ago before the market formed. Um, and you know, it's not just Hall, it's also D'Angelo and Johansson and uh, you know, the retention that's like some of these guys are available for less than free. Do you think teams are going to react to what they've seen and the conversations they've been able to have over the past um over the past week and sort of begin to consider parting with picks that they would have had no intention of parting with uh you know as recently as let's say, five weeks ago?
2: Yeah, I'd say it's very possible. Um, wow. A lot of moving parts with the flat cap. I mean, it's, um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll double down on it, actually. I'll, I'll expand that strategy discussion, and there's rumors uh, afloat about Pierre-Luc Dubois potentially landing in L.A. And um, mm. the flat cap, what that does is it, um, they have to be very comfortable about, him, let's just say that they they take him on next year and allow it to get to next off season, if you will, before they give him the big deal, the big extension. Um, trying to see where the cap is exactly going to fall. Um, I think there's a lot of moving parts, guys. Like a million dollars across the the landscape in a, in a bump is is problematic for a lot of teams. Like we can't sugarcoat it. So I don't know. Like there's. Uh, I think everything's on the table. All strategies are going to be explored. I don't have a concrete answer for you other than to say that when you start to see guys like Taylor Hall, who still has value, um, you know, under underwhelming a little bit last year, I would suggest, but he still has value when he gets dumped like that for basically nothing because I don't think they're going to qualify Regula. And uh, Mitchell played for uh, Jim Montgomery at Denver, so I can see that maybe being a fit. But it's, it's a dump, you know, it's a dump of a quality player, so... Um, I don't know. It's I, I'm torn about it. I don't know how you guys feel. I don't love it. You know, I don't mm. love it that we have to, that we have to do it because I, I'm not so sure that it's great for the game. I know it's not great for the athlete because you're, you're, you're in no man's land. These guys have families and everything else. And, um, I don't love, uh, I don't love that we have to be in that position.
0: Yeah, it's not ideal. I mean, we'll see some interesting trades could come out of it, but I think in general, it's the teams, worst. Yeah, teams would
2: it's teams would worst. prefer
0: to have the flexibility, right, and the ability to more easily yeah. do a lot of different things. Uh, one team I wanted to ask you about the draft is in Nashville. The Preds are in a really interesting situation. You know, they make the Ryan Johansson deal to create a, a even more cap space than they already had. They have a ton of picks in this year's yep. draft, including a couple in the first round, a couple in the second. You know, Barry Trotz, new on the job, but already everything we've heard publicly is that he, he sounds like he is not afraid to be aggressive. Could you see Nashville doing something to kind of steal the show on Wednesday night?
2: Oh, yes and no. I, I think they want to make those two picks. I, I don't um, – again, I think that they're going to explore some of their options. I mean, you know, picking in the muddy middle is never ideal, right? Like when you're picking 15, 16, it's, it's never ideal the only um, qualifier that's different this year is that the depth of the first round is so elite. Uh, so this is an anomaly this year. Like, you're going to get a player at 15. Like, in my mock draft, I have Oliver Moore going there. And, you know, in a normal year, Oliver Moore would be a top 10 pick, if you will. So, I mean, for him to fall to 15, it's, it's more of a reflection of the draft class. So I think that they're going to get really um, good players where they're at. But I also think that uh, they're going to shop that second pick in the first round and see if they can't move up because they have so much draft capital. Mm. I mean, oh, my goodness. Like, uh, you know, they've got their own second, Pittsburgh's second. They've got a couple of – third. like, San Jose's third too, guys. Don't forget, it's such an early third, so it's like a late second, right? So if you start to get creative and say you want to pick or trade out their second and San Jose's, um, the pick that they own in the third – now, you know, you know Edmonton, the pick that they own, that's Edmonton's late in the first round, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's in play and maybe they're starting to look to move up because the team uh, is willing to trade back uh, five or six spots. So I, I think they're going to be aggressive. Trotsy's on the, uh, on the record that he wants them to get creative too. Mm-hmm. Um, my time in Nashville was always that they wanted to draft um, relentless competitors who played the game the right way in all three zones. I think Trotsky's looking, especially for their second pick, to uh, hit a home run with an offensive talent if he can.
0: In conversation with Jason Bukla, Sportsnet NHL draft analyst here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. So, obviously, one of the uh, the players most in the spotlight, or at least has most questions surrounding this week, is Matt Faye Mitchkov. And it does sound like teams are going to have the chance to meet with him finally uh, after not being able to do so at the combine, obviously. How important are those meetings going to be in determining where Mitchkov actually goes on draft day?
2: Extremely important. I mean, they they want to look him in the eyes. They want to they want to take a look at his body language. Uh, he doesn't speak uh, almost any English whatsoever, so it'll be done through a translator. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. He, um, you know, he's got to he's got to convince some people that he wants to be playing in North America, and you know, I'm not. You know, I'm lukewarm on it, to be perfectly honest. Like, it's really going to depend on the team. Like, um, you know, he's going to go play. I believe he's got a, a number of teams that he will definitely come over and play for. Um, he's probably going to say that he'll come play for anybody, but I'm not so sure I'm believing that. I'm not buying that stock right now. But here's one thing I would say um, even if I get the feeling like he wouldn't come over and play for, for us in Florida if I was still working in Florida, I would suggest to the room that from an asset management perspective, if he hits all of his targets and he's as elite as everybody projects him to be um, and he doesn't want to come play in Florida, if we had drafted him, let's manage the asset. Let's trade him out to one of those teams that, uh, that he's interested in, and let's get more capital back or more bodies back. So don't be afraid. Like, don't let the inmate run the asylum if you get my drift. Like, let's, let's manage this appropriately and get creative. Uh, but looking him in the eyes is going to be very important.
1: Jason, I, I just want to bring this up not to slam the player. Okay. Let's forget that the last 12 months happened at all. Okay. But just to give our listeners enough fa- fans. That, that already
2: sounds impossible to me, but go ahead. All right. Go with
1: <laughs> bear with me. Bear with me, and we'll see if it works. Um, okay. <laughs> so let's pretend that the 12 months, the last 12 months didn't happen. But just to give our listeners Canucks fans a sense of how strong this draft class is if in his draft year where would Jonathan LeCaramacchi rate relative to the other players in the 2023 class and and let's forget that he struggled in his draft plus one season just based off of his profile when he'd scored you know seven eight goals in the SHL and uh, was one of the top SHL prospects outside of Marco Casper in that draft class um, is it late first round? Like, is it that loaded at the top end of this class?
2: Great question, actually. I like how you position it. So um, <laughs> I think that, um, yes. I think, so I've got Edward Shallon, number 22 on my draft list, uh, my mock draft. Mm-hmm. I think the would come on the board, based on what I knew about him coming out of the U18s last year, I I'd be looking at him coming on the board... 22 and later in the first round. So I've got guys on my mm-hmm. mock, like Andrew Crystal, Daniel Boot. Jeez, So I like those guys more than the Karamaki still. Um, you put me on the spot, so let me go through this because I'm looking yeah. at it. This is good. No, um, please. <laughs> I – Yeah, the argument could be made that he might fall out of the first round. Yeah.
1: Right. The argument which could is, be made less about him. Like, I mean, crystal's like a historic WHL scorer who is 50, 50 to go in the first round at all. I mean, it's just, that's, that's how loaded this class is.
2: It is. It's, it's such a, I'm actually happy you asked the question because it's really made me think. I mean, I've got Simashev at 32 guys and I mean, I just love his upside on the back end. Six foot, four and a half, uh, you know, really smooth moving defenseman. Who's got understated offense. Um, I would say that I would I would draft Lukiramaki ahead of Goche, who I have thirty one on my list. But so yeah, it, it, would, it would be interesting. I would say that he would be between thirty one and thirty six if if it happened this yeah. year. So it's uh, that's how deep this class is, and um, and you know, <laughs> it's good news for the league. Like this this wave of players. Let's not. I brought this up to somebody yesterday, and I, I, I'm wondering what you guys think because. The economics of the game, it's important for the game to continue to evolve. I think we would all agree with that. Like People pay big money to come watch uh, hockey players you know, entertain them. This wave of, of kids coming through, it's going to be good for the bottom line of the league. Like The economics that will come out of this group is going to be really good because I mean, when you can add potentially 10 or 15 uh, grade A um, players down the road and you spread them out across all these markets, it's just good news for the NHL.
1: It's fantastic. And and so many of the skills that we see now, like, you know, having had a chance to talk to, especially a lot of the Vancouver area guys, right? So your, your Matthew Woods, your Crystals, your, your Bensons, your Bedards, a relatively high-end group there too, you know, the way that they grow up, like the, the how early they're working on skills, how, how much they enjoy working on skills, and then also the access to it, right? The fact that Connor Bedard was able to grow up and just look up Austin Matthews drag shot right on YouTube. And that's yeah. why we're seeing this shot like anything we've ever seen in part because he's a unique talent, but also in part because he was able to watch it and break it down to its component parts, then try it on the ice and be like, Oh wow, I can really make goalies look silly with this. <laughs> it's um, it's pretty amazing. How do you think that's impacted what we're seeing in terms of skill level of this class but also the classes to come
2: well what's interesting about that whole group of kids that came out of vancouver and playing on that elite spring team um Mm -hmm. they, they without them because they were too young to even realize it but as the the internal imagine every day um practicing with that elite group of kids uh, practicing against them practicing with them then you go to tournaments and games that so at a very young age that whole group of kids from that area especially they were playing with the best of the best and it still looks like they're the best of the best fast forward to the nhl draft so yep i don't know that's like that's the ultimate description of lightning in a bottle because every day you're getting better playing against the best and then you fast forward uh, to when they're old enough to start to try unique things because they see guys like Matthews do it or Marner do it, or I don't care like Andrew crystals, you know, he's going to look at something that Marner does. And then you talk about Bedard ripping pucks away Matthews and, you know, Wood is going to be like, uh, you know, power shooter. And um, they take all these things from what they see. And and that's what's, that's what's what's cool about where we are. We are today. Like we can all talk about technology and, There's too much access to phones and this, that, and the other thing, but it also has a positive in that a lot of these kids get to see some unique things going on all over the place. And, uh, and then they try them and they're not afraid to try them. And, uh, that's good for everybody. That's good for the people who pay the money to go watch. And, uh, as a scout, (laughs) it's, it's refreshing too. It makes it more enjoyable.
1: A couple of those Vancouver kids, um, you know, there's some uncertainty about where we'll see them go. Whether it's Benson uh, Wood looks like he he may be climbing late. Benson maybe he's top ten, maybe he's not. Um, Crystal maybe he's first round, maybe he's not. Same with Dragasevich. Uh, what's you, what's the range that you're expecting the 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 Vancouver Vipers five uh, to go in? And obviously, you can exclude Connor Bedard. There's no drama there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um. I've got Benson just falling out <clears> of <throat> the top ten. I've got him going to Arizona. Um, you know at Twelve. Twelve. Um, yeah, at twelve. Jason, I have him going to Arizona. Jason. Yes. Jason.
1: I don't want to live in this world. I don't want to live in this world. <laughs> no, I, I, don't I know what you're going to say because there. he goes right past Canucks. So I know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Jason. Jason. I don't. I don't. I'm going to spend a decade telling telling this entire market I told you so. They're going to hate me. I can't live in this world, Jason.
0: <laughs> what else is new?
2: I've got Sandine Pelican going to the Canucks <laughs> at 11. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, Benson, though, 12. Um, you know, Crystal in the early 20s. Uh, Woods climbing. Um, there's no question about that. I hear a lot of momentum on him. I've got him going to Detroit at 17, but I could easily see him going to Detroit at, like, uh, 9 uh, as well. I, I just think that they so, would so, value so the, you're- you have got the
1: Canucks passing on Benson and you've got Wood completing the Heronic trade? Stop it. What I, are you doing, Jason? <laughs> I
2: don't know. I know. I, it's like, it's like, I'm sticking uh, pins in your eyeballs here, but I, I mean, Oh man. Just, uh, you know, it's just the way she <laughs> shook out on my mock. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, that. just
1: <laughs> it, it. Dude, just no regard for your boy Thomas Drance in putting together this mock. I understand. You have you have a job to do. I get it. Hey, Jason, what <laughs> uh, just speaking of your mock, and everyone
0: can go check it out uh up at um up at sportsnet.ca right now, just a couple of names that stood out to me. One, Colby Barlow going to the Flyers at seven. That's a that's a name we've heard linked with the Canucks as well. And then the one that another one that surprised me in the opposite direction was uh you had Dalibor Dvorsky dropping all the way down to nineteen. Is there is there maybe some Uh, backwards momentum with Dvorsky right now after he rose after such a strong tournament earlier in the process?
2: You know, I just, um, I looked at the body of work for everybody across the board on Dvorsky. Let's start with him. And um, he ended the season on a high note, but there were some ebbs and flows in season that I couldn't uh, ignore. And so um, that's just where he, it wasn't that I don't like the player or, you know, I didn't, you know that I'm, I have reservations about him being a first-round pick. I just like the body of work and the consistency of the other guys ahead of him more, and that that was it. So uh, that last ten days uh, did him well, and I know that he's been a riser on a lot of lists. But um, you know, I had to put some perspective into that uh, into that slot. As far as Barlow goes, um, kind of similar. Um, he he rose a couple of spots for me. Um, coming out of the combine, this is one of those anomalies where you come out of the combine, you talk to the kid, you listen to him, you listen to, you know, his, uh, commitment, his direction, um, how he self identifies where, where he's got to go as a player. And, and he moved up a couple of slots. Uh, I just felt like, I don't think that they should trade connect me. Here's, here's how I'm piecing this together a little bit. Just bear with me. All right. Um, I, I think connecting could be part of the, the, the solution in, in Philly, They need a lot of things. I think Barlow compliments a guy, whoever it's going to be in the middle who plays uh, um, some skill with that heavy type of uh, power uh, scoring and his leadership is elite. So if you're rebuilding your, your club, you're going to have to look at the character aspect as well, and he's got a lead character.
0: Jason, appreciate the time. I know it's a busy few days for you. Uh look forward to seeing you on our TVs on Wednesday, and uh, I think we'll try to connect again on Friday. Once the draft is in the books, we'll uh, we'll do a post-mortem with you. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, okay, and everyone yeah, the
1: go post-mortem read will include-
2: well, the postmortem will include <laughs> your, your whatever Grantzer and I get up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, hey, it's whatever and I get up to the rest of the week as well. Absolutely, so, uh, absolutely. <laughs> I'll te- I'll text Thanks. you when
1: we're done, but uh, but I might not get over the uh, the cursed mock draft for a bit. It might take me an hour or two here.
2: <laughs> 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 so we're gonna let you guys down. It's great great to be on though. So hopefully we'll ap- be here on Friday. For you. We
0: appreciate it too. Thank you, Jason. <laughs>
2: Okay, guys, see you. Bye-bye.
0: That is uh, former NHL scout uh, Jason Buchlad, of course, now doing fantastic work covering the draft for Sportsnet. He'll be part of our coverage on TV on Wednesday. And, I mean, you're talking about the cursed mock draft uh, that he has up from a Canucks perspective. I did also really enjoy he had uh, Dmitry Simashev, who we've talked a lot about, going all the way to the last pick of the first round to the Vegas Golden Knights at 32, and it would be the most NHL thing ever if after so much kvetching and whining about how the golden knights oh they were they were gifted a team by the expansion draft and then oh they were over the salary cap in the playoffs if the rest of the nhl lets them draft a 6 foot 4 hyper intelligent hyper mobile defenseman uh with the 32 32nd pick in the in the first round of the draft like it's just that would if, be the quintessential if, if, vegas experience
1: if Simashev gets that low that is the steal of the draft and you're right that yeah. would be that would be more painful than Wood at seventeen and Benson at twelve. Like <laughs> But I swear Books put it together this mock draft to troll me personally. Uh, anyway, go check it out at sportsnet.ca. Bucala doing great work. And he'll continue doing great work this week and we'll chat with him again to recap the Canucks class on Friday
0: yeah looking forward to that it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, we'll continue to uh, preview the draft you can get your questions in 650 650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line and some more uh, offseason tidbits on the Canucks, and uh, some, uh, we'll get into some of the things that happened and didn't happen around the NHL over the weekend as well. Lots more coming up. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 6- 650.
1: Everything Canucks, before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net 650-650. 50 is the Dumbbar Lumber text line. Um, I, I did have to uh, before we get into some of the other stuff uh, to talk about right now, Dancer. I do have to say I read your uh, your Canucks mailbag up at the Athletic Part Two today and scroll down. You know through the whole thing. A uh, great read. Everyone should go check it out. Uh, and the final question, asking you to come up with a three-team deal to help the Canucks this year and instructing you to get creative. And lo and behold, in your in your scenario that you invent, who ends up on the Canucks? None other than Will Borgen. Uh, you, you are nothing oh, if not I, on brand at all times.
1: I, I designed the most on-brand three-team trade imaginable <laughs> for the Canucks to land <laughs> my guy, Will Borgen. A steal. A steal. Yeah, It's a steal trade. Hey, I it was just, a pretty pretty solid it was a pretty solid three yeah, turn deal.
0: Absolutely. No, I just it's such a great insight into uh in, into your life. <laughs> <It's> just like <laughs> cooking up scenarios where the Canucks can acquire what can acquire Will Borgen. So uh there you go. Um 650, 650 again is the Dunbar lover I mean, slide. Go ahead.
1: It makes sense. It makes sense. He's good. <laughs> he's good
0: <laughs> whatever I mean we both no no he is good look that's the thing you're not wrong about Will Borgen being a, good, uh, being a good player I did have to laugh I mean speaking of like you know sicko ways to spend your time thinking about the Canucks you also mentioned in terms of group six UFAs uh, Mikhail Maltsev who I like picked basically like choosing a name out of a hat just by going through the groups of uh, UC- of uh, group six UFAs and being yeah. like oh he, he scored pretty well he's big and he scored well in the AHL he's Russian
1: oh. sounds like a Canucks target to me but I mean ever since you um mentioned it and now he's like you know con- and like he's like he's um a best supporting actor nominee for his work in uh Andre Kuzmenko's summer Instagram stories. So <laughs> I mean uh, that's it's an not interesting hard one. to connect those dots.
0: Uh, it's a very interesting thing to connect those dots. Keep that name. Remember you heard it here first, yeah. Mikhail Maltsev. Fro-
1: frosted Maltsev. <laughs> Remember Frosted Malts. Oh,
0: love a Frosted Malt. Are you kidding? Fantastic.
1: I don't know. I'm so I'm I'm still sad they did away with them.
0: Yeah, that's tough. But, uh, no, they were great. Um,
1: (laughs) That's tough. (laughs) It's a tough break for you. For all all of us. Yeah, indeed.
0: Uh, All right. Speaking of uh, potential targets that the Canucks uh, could be interested in, I I wanted to just pass along – uh, some reporting from our our friend Rick Dollywall, uh, your collaborator, Rick Dollywall, of course, as well, because I know you love when I refer to him like that. But uh, reporting earlier today on uh, Donnie and Dolly on Czech TV, a couple of uh, just interesting tidbits related to the Canucks. One, that they are apparently out on uh, unrestricted free agent forward Milan luchich and then bringing up a couple of names which i think we've talked about at different points um on the show as potential fits for the canucks obviously with pittsburgh ties to jim rutherford and patrick Alvine, but that would be defenseman ian cole and center teddy bluger and again you know pittsburgh ties here you can see how they would both fill roles for the canucks no surprise that these names are being uh, connected to the canucks and i will say you know Neither of those are, I wouldn't call, you know, high profile or or sexy names to fill like a, a top four blue line position or your third line center role. But they are the types of players, for me at least, that if, and it's a big if, if the term, more so even than the dollars, if the term is right for those players, I have absolutely no problem whatsoever going after those types of players to fill the Canucks holes. I would rather you do short term deals. Right, short-term manageable deals with Ian Cole and Teddy Bluger then feel the need to go out and splurge and overcommit to guys at the top of the market. Now, the question is, are you actually going to be able to get them on short-term? Does it get too complicated? Are there too many bidders? But, I mean, I will say, like, the flat-cap thing... It, it's going to put the squeeze on some lesser-name free agents. And if there's an opportunity to get a guy like Ian Cole on a really short-term contract, or Teddy Bluger for that matter, yeah, I absolutely think that's the kind of deal the Canucks should be interested in.
1: So I agree with you, conceptually. But I think it becomes a little tougher to swallow given how the team has functioned and the moves that they've made over the course of the past let's say eight months Mm. right you know if you are content to be like hey you know the market's so weird it doesn't make sense for us right now let's be really conservative let's get ian cole he's not really a top four guy but he at least fills a need he's you know can play the right or the left side He can play with Quinn Hughes or Philip Peronic And, you know, it makes us somewhat better, even if it's not the perfect fit and doesn't put us over the top or Mm -hmm. what have you, right? I like that as a play. And I like that as a thought process. But I like it a lot better as a play and as a thought process if you don't have Philip Peronick on an expiring deal likely to get a significant raise and having paid multiple high-value futures to get him, right? Like, I like it better if you haven't taken back the Anthony Beauvillier contract and are now sitting in this open market right now with a chance to do things like Taylor Hall for free. Right. Um, I I feel like this team has put and pushed so many chips in to the, for the benefit of next season that this club's, this club should be expected to improve more than just landing Bluger and Cole. And, and I mean, just go over it, right. You think about, The Oliver Ekman-Larsen buyout and how 70 plus percent, like 75 percent of the cap benefit of that buyout comes in year one. You think about the Heronic trade and the fact that that contract's expiring. You think about how it's the last year of Pedersen's misguided bridge deal. You think about taking back the Beauvillier contract. Um, You know, on and on down the line, there's so much that this club has sort of pulling in the direction of being much better next year. And so to not finish that thought feels discordant to me feels, you know, sort of, of two of two minds. And maybe that's just how you have to react. Maybe you, you you know, you think you can do one thing and then you have to do another because of the reality of, of another flat cap off season. But, but even then I'm like, well, yeah, but we knew like, it's not like the flat cap off season is a surprise or should be to anybody. So I get what you're saying. I just can't give it, like, my full, like, and that's part of a coherent um, strategic vision. You know, it, it would feel like a reaction to a market that's actually shaped up far more predictably than, you know, than that,
0: Yeah, the way I would look at it, though, is do you want to be throwing good money after bad, necessarily, right? Like, I, I hear you, and, you know, does it follow cleanly from the moves they've already made up to this point? No, it doesn't, but, again, just think about it from this point. Starting from this point, would you rather overextend and overpay for JT Comfer, for example, or do Teddy Bluger on a cheap deal, right? Like, oh, yeah. that, no, I'd no, rather no do question. Teddy Bluger on a, on a cheap deal, even though there's no doubt he doesn't help you. As much. Like, I mean, you're to illustrate the point, he was the fifth center for Vegas, the team that just won the Stanley Cup, and you'd be bringing him in to be your third line center. It's obviously far from uh, an ideal solution. But again, I think there's value to not locking in. To, okay, well, we've already made the Hronick deal. We already took Beauvillier back. We have to keep pushing our chips in, right? We have to go for yes. the big swing here rather than, you know what? Hey, sometimes you got to take a pitch, right? Like sometimes you might want to step up and hit a home run, but if the pitch just isn't there, y- you take your walk and you go to first base and you move the line, right? And maybe that's what they, you end up having well, to do, and you need to have the discipline to do that.
1: So, and and you're right. I mean, the plan... that. You've laid out at the very least, like hits halt on the excavators, yeah. so you've got my attention. Yes, so you've got my attention. But you know what you're talking about, and I think you brought up a really smart analogy there with the with the take a pitch mm-hmm. um, a- analogy there. But it's like, you know, it, it, I like taking a pitch, and you're not wrong to be taking a pitch and drawing the you know the 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 ball but I like it a lot better if you hadn't swung wildly on your first two swings. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah. it's great to take a pitch, but take the first pitch so that you're positioned to take another pitch. You know, this would be taking a pitch on a, on a 2 count. Yeah, And it's like, yeah, that's a little riskier. That's a little different. And that's, and that to me is sort of where, you know, credit to them. <laughs> like, good, good eye, good eye boys. But like, nonetheless, come on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's uh, to to extend clap, so to awarded. extend and torture this analogy even more. It's one thing to like lay off <laughs> to lay off and get on base when you've got like you know Barry Bonds hitting behind you, and it's like, oh yeah, he, he's gonna he's gonna drive me in, right? And that would be a team that has you know, well, we've got these guys, we've got all these prospects coming next year, and we've got this draft capital, so we're gonna lay off here, uh, but we're gonna be able to do some damage down the road versus you know laying off a pitch and getting on first base when you've got like John McDon- McDonald or whoever coming up right a, a, a no bat all defense shortstop who might not be able uh, to drive you in anyway as i said torturing that analogy to the point of uh, <laughs> confusing all of our listeners desperately Cru- but
1: crucio crucio <laughs> on that on that particular <laughs> yes, analogy absolutely um, but uh, but no I, I so look i fundamentally we agree here i just you know, I, I agree with some reservation because I do think that there were routes for this club to be set up to play a totally different game in a market that's going to reward those teams capable of doing it. And which, you know, I think we've already begun to see it reward those teams. Uh, Taylor Hall being free is is one example. You know, I think the Philadelphia um, example, we'll see if they end up getting that trade across the line, but that's a – you know they've they've been able to execute a couple smart deals here to juke the value of their trade chips, um, you know to potentially get off of other deals, and you know those teams position themselves to do it, and then on the buyer side, Colorado, uh, uh sorry, uh, Carolina, you know that there were ways to position the Canucks to let this market work for them, right? And and they they just didn't do it, and they didn't do it, by it being really evident for like 16 months that this was coming. So that's where, you know, I, I just can't get like full throated. Mm. Like, yeah. Ian Cole, Teddy <laughs> Pluger. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I, I expect this team to make bigger upgrades and, and for, for another reason, it goes beyond Jamie, just the way that this club has built their particular pawnwaller wall or, or position themselves going into this offseason. Um, Like there's still smoke emanating from a crater around the city of Calgary right? Yeah. The, um, the situation in Winnipeg is fraught. Now both teams could just return substantially the same roster and this could look very different, but it feels like there's going to be a lot of work to get those organ. Like even if those organizations don't deal a backland or a Lindholm or a Hannafin or a, a Wheeler buyout or a Pierre-Luc Dubois trade, although it's pretty clear that's, that that's, that one's coming down at yeah. some point soon. Um, you know, Shy. Shai- hellabuck Hellebuck, like even if some of the biggest names on both of those teams do not move, it's going to be hard to patch together, you know, a, a team that's all pulling in the same direction in the wake of a summer that has played out like this for both of those franchises. And those are, you know, that that's the eighth and ninth place team in the West last season. Um, then throw in Nashville, who, you know, it looks like they're not going to trade Soros. So I don't think we're going full scorched earth. Nope. Um, in Music City uh, this weekend, but we are going to see a younger team. We are going to see a team that's comfortable sort of shading around the edges as opposed to trying to draw, you know, something big and bold um, this upcoming season uh, with a new coach and, you know, still a really good back end and still a really good goaltender, but, you know, not a lot of star-level talent up front except for Forsberg who's, you know, getting older and has, you know, been injured uh, somewhat frequently the last three years. Uh, th- there's a window of opportunity for this team here. Like the, you know, I don't want to say the Red Sea is parting because it hasn't yet, but it's threatening to. You can mm. see, you know, so the, the like polarity of the water <laughs> beginning to pull in a way that completely contradicts gravity. Um, there is a path. There is a, a more meaningful path open for the Canucks here to, you know, strengthen their wild card case this upcoming offseason than there has been in years. And as much as I'd love to see this organization aim really high, right, uh, you know, aim far higher than they have for the past decade, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with being good. Like, there's nothing wrong with being better. There's nothing wrong with being fun, right? Yeah. Um, I still worry that this team is stuck. I mean, that's my overarching criticism is I worry that this team has made moves that will leave them stuck in the mushy middle. And in fact, I don't really see a way around that anymore. But if we're gonna be stuck here, like like there's a path to at least have a good time. And at this point, you know, I, I'd like that. and and I don't know if Bluger and Cole qualify. Uh, or, or getting invitations to my good time
0: party. <laughs> I don't know, Teddy Bluger. Fast, fun, fun to watch. Maybe you don't love him as third line center, but I, I could get behind uh, Teddy Bluger. But I hear what you're saying, right? And especially
1: about. I've, I mean, he's been on my he's been on my uh, uh, Selkie ballot in the past. Like I've been a fan. I just it's been a while since we saw that like elite defensive impact from him. You know, um
0: that's fair. I don't know. By the I way, like this is this the, is a total aside.
1: Answer to Vancouver's problems? The, the answer to Vancouver's problems is the guy who couldn't get in Vegas's lineup.
0: Oh yeah, no, I exactly. Don't. I mean, that's it's it's a really easy way of looking at it and looking at the deficiencies, right? Like you're promoting a guy who couldn't crack the Stanley Cup. It's one thing to take a guy who was like, you know, forced into a smaller role in a really good team and moving him up one role, like one one spot in the lineup, right? It's another to take a guy who's a healthy scratch and you're putting him into uh into your third line center position, even if I think he's a useful player Uh, as a total aside, I did not realize that Teddy Bluger was Latvian until today. That had somehow, that had somehow escaped me that his real name is Teodors, but everyone just calls him Teddy. That that came as a major, major shock uh, to me until today. But uh, maybe, maybe I was the only one who was missing out on that factoid. Um, The point about the way the West and the Pacific division could be shaping up. It's an interesting one. And you know, we've talked a little bit about what the stakes are for next year and looking at it in that light, really the question I was kind of thinking of this morning thinking of today, what are the stakes for this week? Right? Like by this point next week, we're going to have such a better image and picture of how the Canucks look going into next season. Right. It doesn't mean all of their work will be done, but it's reasonable to expect. They're going to make some significant additions, uh, some significant changes. Over the next week and you know I think what you're getting at is how significant do those improvements have to be for this team for for you or for anyone else for a fan and for the organization to consider it a success because I've been kind of working under the assumption of. I know the team wants to take that major step forward, but I'd be content with a smaller step forward along the lines of, you know, the Ian Cole and Teddy Beluger variety players. But that question, right, is just going to determine so much, like how much do they need to improve and how much pressure internally do they feel the need to improve uh, over this next week? Like we really, we really need to kind of settle on that question before we start – okay, evaluating how they performed this week, if that makes sense.
1: So, I mean, you know, the, the, how much pressure, uh, you know, I think a fair bit. Again, like, I don't understand how their moves can be viewed in their totality, right? Like, looking holistically at what they've done, looking at everything from the timing of the talk at hire, Uh, The way it was rolled out, the black eyes they were willing to take publicly in, in, you know, exactly when Bruce Boudreaux was fired and, you know, uh, the heroic thing, um, extending JT Miller rather than monetizing it. Like, I don't know how you can look at this team's activity in full and not suspect strongly that being in the playoffs next year matters, matters a lot to the organization. I'd add this too. Like we know that when Jim Rutherford was hired, it was a three-year deal, uh, presumably three plus the season that he saw out uh, that Jim Benning had started uh, 2021-22 season. Um, so presumably there's some internal incentive too, if your hockey operations staff, to negotiate off the back of a playoff berth. Um, not to mention that the stakes for this Canucks franchise have pretty much always been... Playoffs, Yeah. Right. I I mean, at what point has this organization not wanted to make the playoffs above all else, regardless of how they've actually talked or spoken or, or conducted themselves or realistically what was achievable given the state of the team, like the playoffs have always been the goal. So I find it really hard to find evidence that that's not what matters most.
0: Yeah, and you know, I mean, like, well, it's... What would you
1: point to? No, what would you're, you point to in suggest, you know? You're right.
0: The The evidence in, would be if if their if most significant acquisitions are, for example, Ian Cole and Teddy Bluger, right? Or players of that ilk, of roughly that, uh, that caliber. Like, that's going to be... Because it's hard to sell that as we've made these moves and now we think we're a really strong playoff contender. You know what I mean? Those are right. very much cautious moves. Now, that could be... We're kind of circling around it, but that could be why they're not they're not going to do those moves because it would be really hard to sell, uh, to sell them as kind of all in playoff moves. But you're right. The normal MO of the team is, well, push for the playoffs as hard as we can. And I, I think it's interesting too, like Alan Calgary texts in, uh, why are we trying to give them an out uh for the team just giving us a good time? You do not resign Miller and Besser and all that for being fun. This management group needs to be judged on not how fun the team is, but on how good they are. They got this team. Stuck, And that's a that's an interesting text from Alan Calgary because the sense I get is there are, from Al at least, right, there's this kind of, on the one hand, he recognizes that maybe the smartest thing isn't to keep pushing all in, going for the playoffs, but also that there would be this real sense of frustration, which is kind of what you were alluding to, right? Having made these moves, if you don't at least get a playoff team out of it,
1: well, it's like, well, what was the point of
0: making all of those moves?
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean... I don't think I'm giving them the out so much as you know I think I think to be fun it you know you've got to win like to you got to win at least there's a, a there's at a least certain, a
0: certain amount for sure th-
1: there's, a, there's a there's a there's a built-in assumption you know that like y- you're not having a good time when you're when you're eliminated in uh November no you know? <laughs> no <laughs> um as as they say there's uh there's two um you know, there's two modes in the NHL. There's uh, there's winning and there's hell. And that's been pretty much it.
0: Uh, Andrew and Langley text in, the team has spent money on lower tier guys who have minimal to no impact. When they've spent highly, it's been on guys who are complementary pieces, but don't drive play while expecting them to. Aim higher. I'd rather pay the high price for quality pieces. Stop trying to work around the fringes. Get impact players. That's from Andrew and Langley. I don't disagree at all with the – uh, with the philosophy of, well, let's target guys who can really move the needle and do the job for us and actually significantly improve this team and go out and get them, That's I think that was the thinking behind the Filipronik deal. I understand that. I just don't know how many, how many cards they have left to play in that way, right, because of the salary cap situation, because of their assets. I don't disagree at all, right? Philosophically, go add elite talent. If you can do it, it's just I'm not sure the Canucks are in a position to do it over the next week or so here.
1: No, I I think that's, I think that's right. But, you know, I'm curious to see, like, we've talked a lot about the Rutherford, the Rutherfordian MO, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the take one piece and split it into two, and maybe that's not possible because of the hard cap, right? But also the pursuit of a star. And I keep coming back to that as... I mean, there's a lot on the line for for this front office and for this organization, I'd think, particularly in the wake of last season and all the bullets that were were shot their way over the course of a year that, you know, really went badly from just about every perspective. Um, Given that, given that, I still just sort of wonder, like, doesn't, I still sort of expect, frankly, this team to take some sort of a big swing uh, over the course of the next seven days, as difficult as that'll be to land.
0: It's going to be fascinating to see if there is that big swing, what it looks like if it happens. Uh, Get your thoughts in. Any questions you have going into draft week here, 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. Uh, We'll take one final break here, continue to look at some of the things percolating around the league. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Final segment of the day, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. It is draft week, and our NHL draft coverage is brought to you by the Vancouver Giants, showcasing NHL prospect talents, including... Samuel Honzik and Jaden Lipinski. Come watch NHL Talent in Action. Go to VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. And uh, I'm here in Vancouver. Drancer's on this ground in Nashville, preparing to cover the NHL draft on Wednesday. And just by the by, to, uh, to get you caught up in what our coverage will look like, of course, you'll be able to hear... The entirety of the first round, including every pick, and obviously the Canucks pick with Dan and Sat on Central on Wednesday. They'll speak to the Canucks pick, assuming they're, they they stay in the first round <laughs> and make one. Uh, and then at 9 a.m., uh, well, actually starting at 8 a.m. with Halford and Brough, but then at 9 a.m., Duranter is going to be on the floor in Nashville, you know, as I said, our intrepid correspondent. And then on the air, it'll be myself with Bick. And ran deep, holding down the fort, getting you covered. The Canucks have a bunch of picks in rounds three and four. So we'll carry all of that live. And uh, I'm sure we'll check in with Drancer on occasion there as well. That's what it looks like on Thursday. We'll be on there from nine to one uh, with Sat and Dan taking over right after that. So lots of great coverage coming up. And then, of course, we'll have you covered on July 1st as well. Uh, this text, speaking of the 650-650 dunbar Lumber text line, Tanbeer texts in, doesn't Michael Backlund feel like the perfect – 3c for the Vancouver Canucks and feel free to read feel <laughs> yeah free to I, read my response I saw your response back which is wow a good tan beer take and yeah like Mike, <laughs> Michael Bagland, hey, phenomenal sorry, sorry. phenomenal wait, third wait. line Center go ahead
1: dude don't bury the lead <laughs> we can't we can't move past a good tan beer take so quickly um <laughs> I, I, I've changed my mind anything is possible <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, But here's the thing. Like, I
0: know you've been making the point recently on air and in your writing that a lot of players, like most players around the NHL, because of the flat cap, are available for free. I don't think Backlund is one of those players, right? Given how how much respect he has around the league, his accomplishments, his reputation, and his ability as a defensive one, player, his one year of term left.
1: His one year of term left. like that's, he's
0: That's it. And the fact that he would be – yes, he, I agree. He would be a perfect third-line center for the Vancouver Canucks.
1: He'd be a perfect third-line center for every
0: team. Like, from, <laughs> no matter what team you are in the league, what position you are, there's no one that couldn't use Michael Backlund uh, on their team. Now, not everyone would be free to go after him, even, w- w- you know, with just one year of term left, but, like, that's the type of player that if he is on the market, you're going to have to bid for. You're not getting a pure salary cap dump. You're not doing a problem contract for po- problem contract swap. So, yeah, like, I-, I love the fit. He would be a great player. He'd be a great addition to the team. It's just you run into the problem of the relative lack of assets for the Canucks uh, compared to other teams around the league.
1: You do. You do. And, you know, that's where, you know, my my word of day optionality comes in, right? Mm. And, you know, the overall fact of the matter being that, you know, and, and I mean this PLD situation is a really interesting one to monitor because the Kings – Look like they had got some of the way there based on the reporting. We even heard some names involved, right? Yep. I Follow, and Velardi, and company. But Montreal, who, as we spoke to Arpon Basu, and I'm glad we did last week, right? Mm-hmm. Because now our listeners have a good frame of reference for this. Montreal, according to reports now, I believe my, from my athletic colleague, Pierre Lebrun, um, are sort of, you know, oh, well, okay. Wait, wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> we're gonna. We're not gonna not put our finger on the scale here. We're gonna put our finger on the scale a little bit. Yeah. Um. And and then it becomes a bidding war, right? Th- then, first of all, great for Winnipeg, right? Like <laughs> Winnipeg's got to be thrilled. Um. That you know, if Montreal's been spurred to action, that they've got some uh, leverage again. But also now it becomes a matter of like whose brand of kung fu is better. You know, this is very much Cobra Kai um, versus um, Miyagi-Do, but just in terms of asset value, not in terms of wax on, wax off and versus use your rage and aggression and be a bully. But the overall Karate Kid reference, I think, holds together, which is, you know, at the end of the day when you're at the Sun Valley tournament, you got to win the match. You got to win the match. You got to score two or three points here. And whichever team's able to get that flying kick on the nose is going to land the player.
0: We have really run the gamut of uh, sports analogies <laughs> here today. We have re- we have really been all over it in terms of comparing salary cap maneuvers and trades to other sports uh, situations. But or, I or, or just ridiculous stuff. Yes, or just absolutely uh, ridiculous <laughs> stuff. Uh, as somebody texted in earlier, like, so you guys are saying the Canucks need a touchdown. It's like, yeah, that's basically what we're saying. They need to they need to shoot a touchdown here. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> you know the 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 Dubois thing is fascinating because it really sh- it sounded like it was if not imminent very very close to being done with L A. It shouldn't come as any surprise that as you say as soon as Montreal gets wind of that it's oh well actually maybe we are willing to uh, to pony up and give you something that would would be interested uh, that the Jets would be interested in taking back. I guess the question is and you know in the fact that Alex I follow I-, I follow was one of the names we heard going in return to Winnipeg tells you a lot about this like Winnipeg is so dead set on acquiring players that can help them now does Montreal have enough to offer them in those terms that they're willing to do business and of course then the 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 final piece of the puzzle is is Pierre-Luc Dubois actually interested in signing a long-term extension with the Los Angeles Kings and going there or is it more of a hey I'm gonna do this so Montreal you better step up to the table to to get me where I actually want to go
1: well why would he be leveraging the team he's going to
0: because he wants a certain dollar figure like he if he wants to go there but only if the price is right you know what I mean so like hey don't think I'm just gonna come there on a sweetheart deal watch me I'll go sign long-term in LA if you guys don't get serious that would Got be it. that would be the logic, but I understand what so you're saying. So a
1: leverage play on the contractual side, as opposed to the asset yes, side. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. The I suppose that could be part of it. I, at the end of the day, when you're dealing with these pre-agent deals, you're dealing with a very complicated, mm-hmm. three-dimensional or four-dimensional in this case, uh, set of set of negotiations. So okay, I, I I get that. I just think that ultimately too, once you are allowing additional bidders in the pool. You're weakening the team you're going to. Yep. You know, and that, and you need to be a little bit careful about that, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Right? It, like, so much of this comes down to what is unknowable from our perspective, which is, like, exactly how much weight does Pierre-Luc Dubois put on all these different factors? You know what I mean? Like, how much weight does he put on right. the city versus the, the contract versus... Uh, the ability for the team to win, and we can guess, and we can you know go on based on what we're hearing reported and everything, but the actual allotment and proportion of all those uh, factors is is impossible yes, it's to personal know. Personal and private. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly, and and
0: that's going to determine so much of it here,
1: as it should. And <laughs> you know, it's an int- I mean, it's an interesting look. I-, I like that players are flexing these muscles, especially given the way that the cap has been stagnant and the way that franchise values have exploded, you know, like players should be getting absolutely everything they can in terms of choosing, shaping their ideal outcomes mm. in a league where the best of the best only earn a certain amount. And, you know, players can only like, there's, there's a large class of NHL players making 770, 750 uh, K a year, right? It's not like the minimums. Salary guarantees that your family's set for life, right? Like, and it's not like the, the best of the best players are making $40 million annually like they are in the NBA or, mm-hmm. or MLB or eh, pretty much every other professional sports league of comparable size. So, you know, for Dubois, I mean, good for him, you know, and, and and likewise for Debrinket, and likewise for any player that decides to handle their business in this way. You might as well try and have your cake and eat it too, given that, You know your your relative earning power um, in comparison with professional athletes who pay who play in you know comparably sized leagues. Yeah. You know is so significantly greater than yours.
0: I uh, I forget who it was, but I saw it on Twitter today that the you know obviously we think of. In terms of hockey greats and Canadians, Sidney Crosby. I I don't know what the exact number of his career earnings is, but Andrew Wiggins in the NBA has earned two hundred and eighty million dollars in his career, which is like just preposterous. Yeah, number one overall pick and all that, but like, oh my goodness, just that just put it in such perspective—the
1: gap and how and how it adds up, like a hundred million more, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's just completely ridiculous uh, what the gap is. And Sidney Crosby is the LeBron James of the NHL, exactly. You know, I mean, the, it's wild.
0: Um, and I guess the other factor for, on the Pierre Luc Dubois front would be if LA is ever comfortable saying we're going to do this deal because we're good right now and we we need to do something to challenge Vegas and Edmonton and we're going to sign, we're going to qualify you, we're going to give you the qualifying offer, and then when Anze Kopitar expires after the end of the season, we're going to revisit it and we're going to try to get you long term. But if LA was ever comfortable doing it without working out the extension. In advance, right? Could that that could circumvent a little bit of uh, Pierre Luc Dubois' power here.
1: Yeah, uh, Dmitry Filipovich on the PDO cast, which is airing next, right? Will you tell? I me? believe so. Yes. Yeah, so we did a we did a fake trades, and his fake trade idea was that the um, Kings acquired Dubois with retention, and and then extend him in January to to, to, to maximize <laughs> the benefit to yep. the Jets. And juice their return further, right? He was even suggesting then you fold in Hellebuck and just like L.A. completely empties the chamber in terms of prospect capital going back to Winnipeg. So good, fun, um, little pie in the sky, but like obviously awesome pie in the sky trade suggestion from Dmitry Filipovich. We both have a, a ton of fun fake trade suggestions uh, in the ne- coming up for you in the next hour, but that one I thought was hilarious, right? Like the Goligosky comp. Um, the Goligosky concept sort of taken to its most radical and extreme logical end. Yeah. Which, you know, I have, you know, I have yes. time for stretching <laughs> logic to, to, um, to it, its maximal sort of point.
0: Stretching a concept, uh, ad absurdio. Yes. Yes. I, I, I do know that yeah. you, uh, you have some time, That's... uh, for that one. um, Austin and Langley it. texts in, uh, should the Canucks go after Tory crook He has an NTC, which apparently stands for no torts clause. Uh, does he also have a no talk clause? That's from Austin and Langley. And yes, of course, a, uh, <laughs> a rumored blockbuster deal between the Blues, or I shouldn't say rumored, a widely reported blockbuster deal that was on the verge of happening between the Blues and the Philadelphia Flyers with Travis Sanheim and Kevin Hayes going to st louis tory krug uh, was at least one of the parts that was going to come back i think a pick was in there as well to the philadelphia flyers but tory krug does have the full no trade clause and he exercised uh his right or at least so far has exercised his right to veto that trade not waive his no trade clause to go to philadelphia uh you know as we talk about player empowerment and what teams are trying to what teams are trying to accomplish and get done over this week. This is a fascinating one for a number of different reasons. One, I mean, you know, Danny Briere continues to try to just lessen the contractual commitments on the books for the Philadelphia Flyers. And yeah, Tori Krug is under contract for four more years, but Travis Sandheim is under contract for eight more years. Right. So you're kind of chipping away at those commitments. If you were able to get the deal done. I also think it's fascinating. You know, we've talked about, what does what does Calgary want to do? What does Winnipeg want to do? What does Nashville want to do? And this type of deal from the St. Louis Blues would be an indication that as much as they sold at the deadline last year and were you know content to slide down the standings and are now picking just ahead of the Vancouver Canucks, the DNA of that organization is still, okay, we have three first-round picks. Let's go try to figure out a way to get better and compete uh, for this upcoming yeah. season.
1: One, they were in on Chickering at the deadline, and yeah. and on and on. I mean, that's not a rebuilding team, the way we'd associate um, s- associate like uh, with. That's not Philadelphia, put it that way. No, that's not certainly not but. Philadelphia. No. Now, now, the the to we honestly should just do a segment called "What does this mean for the Canucks?" But what does this mean <laughs> for the just, Canucks? That's just like
0: the subtitle of the whole show.
1: You know what I mean? We can't limit it to a that's segment. <laughs> that's just implied. That's it's in literally in Canuck's every talk. segment. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: You're right. Well, and you know what? You know what? There's enough. There's enough. What does this mean for ex Canadian team and other markets? We deserve some oh, of our own yeah, in come Vancouver. On. Um, now, what does this mean for the Canucks? The biggest Canucks takeaway I had <laughs> from this is that it was a real time example of the fact that rebuilding, for all that Briere is being thrown bouquets, mm-hmm. you know, by by me too, by the way, right? It's a dirty word for players. Yeah. Because, like, I don't think this is a no-torts clause.
0: Yeah. I think this
1: is a... It's a no rebuilding. I'm not going to a bottomless rebuild.
0: It's I'm Tori Krug, and I've had, a, I've had a really good career and been a big piece on really good teams, and I want to keep doing that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is more than anything else, right? Which is very, Correct. very understandable. Well, and it might not even be in the wake of this, right? It might not even be, and I'm... And I want to stay in St. Louis like right. that might even be secondary. It, it might really just be I'm not going to bottomless rebuild team, which, you know, and, and I've talked about this at length, like, you know, people people say like the players hate that idea. They they don't want to rebuild. And it's like, of course, no player wants to rebuild the, 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 the you will never find a player. Not in the NHL, not with how competitive these guys are, who's like, yeah, what I really want is to be part of a, a, a multi-year rebuild in which, like, assets are slowly valued up. Like, that's not for players. That's for us. That's for fans to talk about and think about and media people to write about and opine on. Like, players don't want a, any part of that. And that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, but this was, like, a really potent real-time example of just mm. how dirty a word rebuild is among NHL players.
0: Well, and just that it does not that this is a reason you shouldn't do it, but you when you do do it, you have to go in with eyes wide open about like there are there are costs to doing it, right? And there are extra there's extra friction and extra barriers to getting deals like this done because you are being so open. And so forceful with how you're rebuilding, mm. right? Like that's that's just the reality. Because we all love to do the, you know, fantasy trade, fantasy GM trade machine thing, right? And okay, they're gonna make five trades in a row and they're gonna sequence did, them like this. Did a whole hour of it. Yeah. And, it, <laughs> no, and it's it's super fun. But then when you're actually in that position, especially in the reality of the NHL, where so many players, so many players have at least some form of no trade protection, right? Not the full no trade like Tori Krug does, but at least some form of no trade protection. Like it is a it's a thing that you have to consider, and again, not a reason not to do it, not a reason to take a different path than what Philly is doing, but just something you have to factor in when you're, you know, think dreaming up all of the incredible rebuilding trade that they can do,
1: yeah, for sure. And the blues, though, um, the Blues have this intractable issue on defense, and it's intractable in part because of the no trade protections involved. Uh, with all of, all four of those overpaid guys who didn't function very well as a defensive unit this past year, right? And and so that's the other thing we're beginning to see. Uh, the Blues have over-committed to a blue line group that's not nearly good enough. Does yep. that sound familiar? <laughs> and yeah. is now sort of holding back a really talented group of forwards in, in some meaningful ways. And it's an issue that's, like, really, really tough to fix. Um, and that should be a guiding principle, too, as we head into this offseason and think about what teams need to do and what players uh, are are going to be available and which defensemen are gonna move and you know, how's a team gonna approach what they want to do with Noah Hannifin and on and on, right? It's like Falk, Krug, Pereco, Letty, you know, there there have been times, maybe less so for Letty, but certainly for the other three, where like those guys were some of the most valuable trade chips in the world, mm-hmm. right? Uh, over the past, and and not like in the distant past like 3 years ago Pareco would have just been an oh, absolute my goodness. Uh, home run a, a, a bidding war. Piece.
0: yeah absolutely and now i mean yeah. they they all they're you know, all uh, under contract for at least 3 more years and they all have a full no trade some of them
1: forever yeah
0: and they all have yeah. the full no trade but like, that's a tough position the, to be
1: in and the blues look like they got pretty close to changing up their mix and still couldn't do it and so you know, that's the stakes of free agency. Like when, when we talk about Ryan Johansson as an option, right. When we talk Mm. about the imperfect trade targets, when we talk about Greslick, when I, when I'm singing Cody CC's praises at length, like part of the reason is, Hey, two years of Cody CC, that's a lot better than whatever it's going to take to land X unrestricted free agent defenseman. Right. That's a lot better for me even you know because because let's go like if you go to evolving wild right they're they've got this contract model it's not perfect but 0.82r squared in terms of projecting contract outcomes last um, last year you know for a player like Ian Cole uh two two year commitment at three million okay like that's fine you know you can live with that but mm-hmm. but their model also says that there's a one in three shot that you you need to sign him for three or four years. To get the deal done. Right. I mean, there's a there's a 35 percent chance, according to their model, because their model shoots out the, the number that we most often cite as the most probable outcome. But there's a 35 percent chance that it's a three or four year deal between three point two five and three point seven. And, and doesn't doesn't that diminish your appetite 100%. to see the Canucks pursue that type of route and, like, pretty significantly?
0: Yeah. No, 100%, right? You know? the, the, the caveat with whenever you're talking about, just like when you're talking about should they trade for this player, it's like, well, what are they giving up? And the caveat with the UFAs is the same. Well, how much term right. and how much money are they giving them, right? There's yeah how there's, much
2: there's, are they overpaying for exactly and for yeah. how long
0: there's number. there's a number i would love Ian Cole at, and there's a lot of numbers that i would not like it uh whatsoever uh w- we'll end on this note this just came into the inbox uh it has nothing to do with the draft or the offseason but i do want to pass it along somebody texts in did daniel sadine really do the grouse grind back to back to back 11 times and yeah this just came uh over my Twitter feed, courtesy of uh, of the great Dan Murphy of Sportsnet, Murph tweeting, just heard that at the multi-grouse grind challenge that took place on June 21st, Daniel Sedin did it 11 times. First run in about 52 minutes, last one in 55. That is simply outrageous. 11 consecutive runs on the grouse grind, 52 minutes to 55. Basically flat time for all 11 and just let that be an early warning shot for all of the uh, new Canucks prospects that are going to be coming to development camp next week. When you're doing the gross grind, you have a very, very, very uh, difficult standard to live up to in the form of Daniel Sedin.
1: A monster. Like that's outrageous. Just an absolute monster. <laughs> yeah. 11 you know what? times. That's par, for the, <laughs> what? that's par for the course, man. That's par for the course. And, and honestly, like, I think one thing I don't think people have ever understood about the twins, and one thing I don't think I understood during their playing days, it took me sort of getting to know them a little bit better and getting to know some of their teammates and really digging in during the 50th anniversary season. Mm. Um, Like, and and I don't mean to use this, like, sort of terminology, but I, I think you'd be surprised by just how alpha the twins are. Like, just how... They are they are hardos of the highest order. <laughs> well, and with uh, with, with each other, level of... you always hear right, like the competitiveness between oh, the two. Definitely of them. with each other. Yeah, well, it's it's mostly with each other. But uh, but I mean, these are n- not just world class athletes, but the the pain tolerance, right? The the ability to you know put it all aside and get it done. The ability to hear your thighs screaming as you head back up the grouse grind for the eleventh time in a day, and just overcome it and do it three minutes (laughs) slower than you did it the first time like to a normal human being that is completely unthinkable to Daniel Sedin it's like I'm sure he was sore the next day but it you know that's it was it was like where does that even where does that even rank on his list of athletic achievements you know it's like not even top 10 I can only imagine these guys are wild just absolute monstrous beastly human beings and competitors i love to hear those stories yeah
0: it's it's fantastic i really wanted to pass that along because it's just an absolutely mind-blowing tidbit for uh daniel sadine all right we're gonna wrap it up there today we will be back uh tomorrow for more draft coverage with drancer on the ground in nashville and of course wall-to-wall draft from free agency coverage all this week it is the home of the canucks Sportsnet 650